0: All right, well, it's good to be with you this morning and uh, I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter two, Uh, whether in your Bible or a device that's smart enough on it to have a Bible. And if you don't have either of those two things, you should be able to find a Bible in the pew rack in front of you to use. And um, if you're newer with us and you don't have a Bible at all of your own, uh, we would invite you to take that uh, as uh, a gift from us to you to to have the word of God access here in the year ahead. And so uh, as you turn there, if you can multitask a little bit, I'm going to invite you um, just to wake up a little bit, a little calisthenic stuff, is uh, if you could just put one arm up in the air, uh, just kind of crack at the elbow about right there and give yourself one of these to self-congratulate yourself on perfect church attendance in 2015. Yes, well done, well done. Uh, Because this is the time of year where we set goals and resolutions that last to about the 4th of January anyway, so, so far so good. Uh, But yeah, we set out to, uh, to do new things in a new year and weather you have articulated it going into this day or not, I would suspect if asked that one of the things that you would uh, gladly give your focus and energy to in the new year is uh, to have it be a year where you focus on Jesus Christ uh, leading your life um, while we've given him due attention in the Christmas season, uh, that we would continue to give that attention to him being the Lord of our lives in every season of 2015 and frankly of all of our lives. And so uh, that's our hope today as we um, conclude our series, Christmas Perspectives, but uh, you could say enter into a new year, uh, hoping that the story of Christmas would be not... uh Um, limited to a season, uh, but to uh, our whole lives. And so what we've done over the last several weeks is we've examined uh, several characters which God chose to engage in the Christmas story, engage in the coming of Jesus, such as Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the angels, and now this week we look at uh, the Magi, which you can see on my right, your left here, uh, also known as the wise men, who Basically, they came great distances to seek out Jesus and really could sum up where we're headed here this morning, what we hope to head to the New Year. Uh, it was words in a previous song, and I've seen it actually on a bumper sticker. Maybe you've seen this bumper sticker. Uh, good words for us. It simply says this, that wise men still seek him. And so that would be our hope, that we would be wise men and women that still seek him, uh, again, beyond Christmas and into uh, the new year. And so to uh, explore that perspective of the wise men seeking Jesus Christ, that we might gain that perspective in our lives, we're going to be looking at Matthew 2, uh, starting in verse 1, and we're going to set this up by just looking at the first two verses and then going from there. And so I invite you to read along with me. It says this, that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And so as we, again, turn into a new year, turn over to a next season post-Christmas, we examine this perspective of the Magi, of the wise men who also actually came uh, post-Christmas, post-Jesus birth, and actually to um, a lengthier degree, as uh, some of you, uh, I've seen hardliners about the story, actually will not even put the Magi in the manger scene, in your nativity scene, because uh, in truth, they actually didn't show up on the scene until about two years after Jesus' birth, when Jesus was about two years old. Uh, But even though a little late on the scene, we do witness, even in just these first couple of verses, uh, some incredible Christmas perspectives from the wise men. First thing we see is that they uh, went to the trouble of traveling a great distance um, to uh, come and see Jesus. As it says, they would have traveled from the east and scholars uh, would say that that would have been uh, Persia, which would be modern day Iran, which would be 900, about 900 miles from where they were to the place where Jesus was born. And so, to put that in perspective for us, it would be the equivalent of us traveling from Decatur, Illinois, uh, to Denver, Colorado. And so pretty significant uh, travel, uh, and let me remind you what you don't need reminding of, there was no, you know, direct flight on Delta for these guys uh, to get to see Jesus. So um, as I was kind of looking up, kind of comparing the mileage, one of the things that I like to do when I'm Google mapping uh, the distance from, particularly on a long trip, and how long it's going to take, and how many miles, uh, you might do this, because I don't know, I'm Sense of humor, but uh, you know, you click on how far it's going to take you to drive somewhere, but then just out of utter curiosity, I always click on the little walking man because I want to know just how long would it take to walk there. And so uh, Google says it would take 14 hours by car for us to hop in and drive to Denver here today, but it would take 292 hours for us to walk from Decatur to Denver or the distance that the wise men traveled to see Jesus. And so that uh, quick math is over 12 days of 24 hours a day straight walking. As uh, we all know, Google doesn't incorporate our Starbucks stops along the way. And so it's clear they went to great lengths, risk, and in those times, great danger to travel that distance. And why did they do it? Verse two in their own words, we have come, and here's the key word, to worship. We have come all this way to worship him. And so that's the perspective that we get today, that these magi, these wise men, traveled great distances uh, to worship a two-year-old, which in and of itself is remarkable to me because I actually uh, live with a (laughs) two-year-old. And I have several natural responses to my two-year-old, never, Has worship been one of them? (laughs) And so clearly, there's something unique and special about this two-year-old, about this Jesus Christ, and if you've been with us, we know that that uniqueness is that he is Emmanuel. Uh, Emmanuel, which means God is with us, and he is with us, uh, as uh, BJ reminded us in communion, as our Savior and our Lord. And so we witness the Magi as they travel great lengths to worship Jesus. And uh, we're going to continue to look at the story to see how that commitment to go and see him and worship him unfolds as we pick up the story. Uh, At this point, the Magi have informed King Herod uh, why they're there, that they're there to worship not the newborn, but now this two-year-old king. And so we pick it up in verse three. It says that when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. And so the religious leaders are quoting actually a prophecy given hundreds of years earlier that we find in Micah 5.2, verse seven. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out, where them, found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Uh, which in fact was actually a lie. Uh, We see later in Matthew 2 that his plans were actually to kill this baby, um, not worship him, as we find later. So verse nine, it says, after they had heard the king, the magi, they went on their way, and the star they had seen, when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, it says they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod because of the murder plot, they returned to their country by another route. And so in these 12 short verses, we witness uh, the perspective of the Magi. Uh, But as we look throughout the story, we actually see that we witness several perspectives and that it's actually kind of a three for one deal when it comes to perspectives, uh, as there are actually two additional perspectives in this passage that as we look at them, they help illuminate the perspective that the Magi had and thus, again, the perspective that we would aim to gain in our lives as well. And so uh, the first additional perspective that we get today is from that actually of King Herod. And we see early in the passage that King Herod's, uh, excuse me, King Herod's perspective on the coming of Jesus being, quote, born as king of the Jews is that of one of being disturbed, it says. And the reason Herod was disturbed was because, frankly, as his title suggests, he was king. He was king of the Jews and, frankly, of all the people. And so for him, there's no room for two kings and was not interested in having competition uh, for his kingship. And while, at least to my limited understanding at this point, there are no kings of any countries here in the room today, um, we might be quick to dismiss any parallel between King Herod's perspective and a perspective that we might have. However, we do have within each of us, you could say, two kings battling. That if we have committed our lives to following Jesus Christ as the Lord, as the leader, as the king of our lives, we always have then within us our own desire to remain king, to remain in charge. And so uh, if you seek to follow Jesus, it's always, it's going to be a battle between us and our will and truly trusting in God's will as the Lord of our lives. In fact, it says in the Bible when it comes to this, uh, this area of competition that, that God is actually, it says, uh, he is a jealous God. To which throws us off immediately because we we're thinking, wait a second, isn't jealousy a sin? Uh, to which it is uh, in, the, in the one sense that there's two kinds of jealousy. And that one kind of jealousy is the sin of, you could say, envy, of jealously, uh, selfishly desiring that which another has uh, that is not ours. But then there's also the the good kind of jealousy. You could say the jealousy of a God who loves us so much that he wants what's best for us in every area of our life, that when we move away from and give lordship to something or someone other than him, God's then, you could say, jealous, protective love kicks in. Um, and this makes sense when you relate it to any other exclusive relationship that we have in our lives as you know we want Jesus to be exclusively Lord of all um, and For example, maybe in my life, um, I'm married, and so uh, my wife Jessica and I have, you could say, an exclusive relationship. And uh, to foster that, one of the things that we do uh, each week is we, not every week, but we aim to every week have a date night where we get away from the schedules and the meetings and the kids and just kinda reconnect. And for us, that's every Thursday night. Every Thursday night at our house is date night. Now, let's say that I added to my schedule, say, um, another date night on Monday night. Say I had Monday night, date night, but with another woman. Now, Jessica should not be upset about this. I mean, in all fairness, Thursday is our date night. I'm not messing with that. I'm still leaving that alone. And so, it's funny. Last night she was sitting on the front row and she actually had a a hymnal cocked towards my head, (laughs) waiting for me to explain what the heck I was talking about. Here's how this applies. For many of us, We go on a date with God every Sunday for an hour. And we sing about and we say, Yes, God, you are the Lord of all, all of our lives. You're in charge. You lead us. Uh, But then, functionally, in many areas of our life, in the other 167 hours of the week, we remain in charge. We remain uh, Lord over that area, not trusting God and His best for that area. And so we have to ask ourselves, uh, as we look at King Herod's perspective, what areas of our life are we holding on to, Are we staying in charge of? Are we staying king over, rather than truly surrendering that over uh, to the God who we believe has what's best for us in that area because we believe, we wanna believe, we wanna grow in that he has what's best for us in every area of our lives. And so for example, when it comes to your time, when it comes to you, those 167 hours out of this Uh, hour together. Who is the Lord of your time? You know, do you use your time only for yourself and for your own selfish gain? Or do you seek to submit your time to God and his will and his purposes for your life? Or uh, when it comes to a large portion of our time we spend in our vocations, our jobs, if you will, Uh, is it when it comes to your job or your career, is it only about you and your advancement? Or you know, even if that's on the good side, maybe on the flip side, maybe it's a, it's a tough situation, and is it only about your misery and, and how awful your job is and, and hating every minute of it? Uh, so whether good or bad, is it all about you and your fulfillment, or is it regardless of what you do? As it says in Colossians 3.17, it says that whatever you do, and this is even talking in the context of people who are in slavery, it says whatever you do, whatever you do for a living, Do it as onto the Lord. And so do you submit that area of your life to the Lord? And when it comes to your resources, um, have you trusted God in the area of your finances by by tithing, which literally means a tenth, by giving back a tenth of what you believe, what we believe he has already given to us in the first place, giving back to him? Or when it comes to uh, the relationships in your life, outside of your relationship with the Lord, um, are those relationships, whether friendships, marriage, dating, single, uh, anywhere in between, the relationships of your life exist to serve and fulfill you? Um, or have you learned to, as Jesus says, to love others above yourself to love sacrificially as he modeled for us in his life uh, and his death? And so we have to ask ourselves, like cared, in what areas do you hold on to Do you remain king? Do you remain in charge versus trusting Jesus Christ functionally in that area of your life? And so that's the first perspective that we can bounce off of as we look at King Herod. The second uh, character, or really the cast of characters and perspective is one uh, actually I never even noticed before uh, until studying it this past week. Uh, it's one we kind of glide right by in this story. But it is the characters that we see in verse four. It says, the chief priest and the teachers of the law. Or you could say simply, uh, the very religious. uh, The the ones who knew a lot about God. And it's pretty clear in the story that these guys, they did know a lot about God, uh, these religious leaders. As Herod actually calls them to him to understand and to learn where this Messiah was to be born. And uh, we find that the religious leaders, they know the answer. They are able to search the scriptures and to quote Micah 5.2, as we see in six, that the Messiah would be born to Bethlehem or born in Bethlehem. But notice this, that even though they seem to know all about Jesus' coming, these religious leaders, they never make it onto our mantles, nativity scenes. That even though they knew all about the Messiah, the long-awaited Savior. They did nothing. They went nowhere. And so we see that there is a very big difference in the perspective of these religious folks between knowing about Jesus and actually knowing Jesus. And to apply that to our lives 2,000 years later, how easily we can fall into the trap of literally sitting right here together, week after week after week, learning all about Jesus, but not functionally knowing him, not truly following him, not truly having a relationship with him as the Lord over all of our lives, as we just looked at a moment ago. And so how do we? The question is, how do we then know him as the actual Lord of our lives, unlike Herod and unlike the religious leaders? Well, the answer is this, that we respond like the ones who did make the nativity scene. Even though two years late, they still get credit for being there because they came and they showed up to worship. That's the difference. They chose to worship. And as we compare them to the other perspectives, it's interesting that, I mean, it's not, you know, we looked at some lowly characters along the way, but these guys are of high prominence, and maybe that's something you can relate to even more so, and, and, and maybe, you know, your prominence, whether uh, in your career or financially or achievement or intellect, that we see that just like Herod, the Magi were men of great prominence. Uh, in fact, in tradition, we even call them kings, you know, we three kings, uh, yet, These kings, these magi, these wise men, they humbled themselves and gave worship to the king of kings. And then like the religious leaders, these magi, they were obviously very smart, very knowledgeable, able to discern the prophecies and astrology with the star to be able to discover where Jesus was going to be. But unlike the religious leaders, they didn't remain unmoved. They traveled Great distances, under great sacrifice and risk and danger, all to again worship Jesus Christ. And so this perspective, um, it really it's the perspective uh, that in all that we've looked at that ties them all together, that even though we've looked at different nuances of all the different perspectives of each of the characters in the nativity scene, that each and every one of them, the leading edge of that response was worship. And we say that because we know what worship really means and that it's more than the singing of a song. But what worship literally means is to give ultimate worth, to express ultimate worth to something or in the case of Jesus Christ, to someone And so that's why we want to wrap up our time here is we want to look really practically at, okay, how do we reflect the worship of the Magi, the the worship of all the characters in the living of our lives that we might uh, go the distance, if you will, just like the Magi did to worship the King of Kings, not just in the Christmas season, but in every season of 2015. And beyond, and so we're gonna look at five different ways that you can do that. And uh, as I've prayerfully uh, kind of considered these different opportunities, I'm confident that at least one, if not more, will apply uh, to everyone in the room. And so if you're a note taker, it might be helpful for you to maybe jot these down and then prayerfully discern which of these or which several of these God is calling you to worship him in every area of your life in 2015. And so with that, uh, the first one, Uh, is actually one that you're engaged in with right now. And that is simply participating uh, right here in weekly worship together. And um, the reason I like to put that one specifically is I don't know about how you make your lists, but I always like to put on my list something I've already done Uh, so I can check it off and feel good about the rest of the things I get to do. So you can, again, I was joking, you know, hey, perfect attendance in 2015, you can check that off and you can be glad that you've done that here today. Uh, And it's interesting when you think about church attendance, it's in some traditions, actually, they um, would go as far as to call it a sin to not participate in the weekly worship uh, gathering of the church. And while we wouldn't necessarily say it that way, we do recognize that the normative practice, uh, both in the Old and the New Testament, the rhythm that was established, is that of one day in seven, having within it the priority of gathering for worship with your church. And so while you know, sickness and travel needs are always gonna be a factor, commit this year to do more than just attend enough. You know, records indicate that about 50% of us attend 50% of the time in the sense that we've gone to church enough. But instead of doing it enough, what if we saw it as a priority, that we made a priority to say, you know what, each week, you know, as we are able, we are gonna engage with our local church uh, to worship the King of Kings uh, with those whom we've been called together to be a part of. And so uh, we encourage you to, to make that a regular part, a committed part of every week of 2015, as we gather for worship, for lives that worship him. And so from there, um, with that, and we've already alluded this in some ways, we do recognize that even though we gather for worship one hour a week, that it's not a limited opportunity in this one hour a week on a a Saturday night, if that's when you come, or a Sunday morning. But uh, as the worship leader and songwriter Tim Hughes writes, someone we use, his songs a bunch around here, he says it this way. He says, songs of worship arise from a life of worship, that songs of worship, they will arise out of a life of worship, uh, which is a great summary of what the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 12, uh, where he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, I've urged you, church, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, in view of, in the perspective of, if we look at God's mercy, that he loved us so much. In John 3.16 that we've already looked at earlier um, is that in his great mercy he gave his one and only son at Christmas but to die on Good Friday. All that you and I may be forgiven of the sin that separates us from a relationship with God, that by placing our faith in him, we are reconciled to him in a relationship both here in this life that he leads and for all of eternity. That in view of that, in view of God's mercy that came through sacrifice, Apostle Paul says, offer then your bodies. Offer your very living of your lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, and that this is your true and proper worship. And so that's what we want to examine the next four. How do we worship God beyond just an hour? on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night depending on when you're here. And so to worship God, the other 167 hours of a week as a church, uh, another way uh, that you could do that in the new year, uh, we've identified as a church, is through what we say growing and serving together. We say that around here, that's part of our mission statement that as uh, the leadership of the church a number of years ago prayerfully aimed to capture what does the scripture say about what it means to be a church Uh, beyond just that one hour gathering here together on a weekend. And boiled down, it is in growing together and serving together that we live out uh, becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus, that we live out the fullest expression of what it means to worship him uh, as a church in our lives. In fact, we've said it this way, that when it comes to being a part of, this is true of any church, uh, but we've used this language around here, that when it comes to being a part of the life of First Christian Church to reflect the church that we see in the New Testament, that there really is going to be no such thing as a, you could say, a non-growing and serving together part or member of First Christian Church because it's in doing life together and growing in our understanding of who Jesus is and using the gifts and talents that he's given us for furthering his kingdom here on earth that we experience what the Bible says about being the church. And so really you could say if you're not a part of growing and serving together, you're not experiencing and uh, the fullness of what it means to be a part of the life of this church. And so The encouragement for you for the next year would be, you know, discover your gifts, your talents, your interests, uh, and and see what area of service that God might be leading you uh, to be a part of what we're doing here, again, in our community and in the world uh, through serving. And so you can find out those opportunities uh, through, uh, one way is you've made a notice on your way out, the Get Connected wall. Uh, the blue side of that wall is what we call Serve Together. And so check out the different ministries and areas where you could get plugged in. Uh, you can also do that digitally at firstdecator.org forward slash connect. And so those are two ways you could find ways to serve. But then on the Grow Together side, these groups of people who get together um, to rally around maybe a topic that uh, we're, being, we're going through as a church, uh, when you see those opportunities, jump into one of those groups. This past fall, we did a, uh, the, the focus of prayer and we did these um, circle maker groups where uh, lunch, a bunch of you participated in. And, and so make sure you take advantage of those opportunities to grow together in that way. Or even now, you can check the green side of the wall, if you will, where you can see uh, several uh, small groups in Life of the Church that have you know, open seats and they're hoping and expecting more people to join. And so uh, two ways in which you get involved in the new year of being a fuller expression of what it means to, to be the church through growing and serving together. So that's the second way. Um, A third way that we can worship God with our whole life is uh, through the giving of gifts, through generosity. And uh, we see this expressed uh, as part of the Magi's worship as we see that they brought uh, costly gifts to Jesus in gold, uh, frankincense, or just incense, and myrrh. Uh, which the significance of these gifts was the gold uh, would have marked Jesus' uh, kingship or divinity, and we've looked at that. And then incense was uh, something used in worship, Uh, and that's, again, our whole topic of today of worshiping Jesus. And then myrrh. Myrrh was a spice that was used uh, for embalming uh, after death. And so this is foreshadowing that this king would lead his people by sacrifice as we know, the ultimate sacrifice of death on a cross. And here's what it says in verse 10 about uh, their expression of, of giving in this way. It says in the English that they were overjoyed to worship Jesus in this way. And what's interesting, that word actually uh, is, uh, is uh, one word that represents four words that's in the original Greek there, that if you were to literally translate it, it's kind of cumbersome uh, for the words, but it basically would mean to rejoice exceedingly with great joy. Uh, That the Magi, you could say, were happy about being happy, to get to be happy to worship the Lord in this way in their giving. It's almost like a a throwback, forgive me, uh, the Ren and Stimpy song, the happy, happy, joy, joy song. Some of you know this, yes. And so that is, you can say that, that happy, happy, joy, joy is a translation of the original Greek. (laughs) Um, And so that's what they were excited about doing. They were excited to give in this way. And uh, here's what I know for us today, um, that when it comes to this topic of giving and generosity, uh, particularly in the church, uh, it is a sensitive one. But only if, only if you haven't experienced the overjoy of trusting God with your finances. You see, and I know this because I've been there um, My story, real quick, if you don't know it, I didn't grow up going to church, uh, came to Christ, uh, but didn't learn about the topic of giving or anything until much later, and so um, when I first became a Christian, I didn't give diddly squat, um, mostly because I was cheap. Um, And secondly, I just have this disposition within me to just be a worrier about money and resources and kind of this scarcity mindset all the time, regardless of what there actually is, and just annoyingly so, as my wife can attest. Uh, However, in my early 20s, I began being mentored uh, by a guy in his 30s, a guy by the name of Andy, and he began teaching me about tithing. He began teaching me about the importance of giving uh, the first fruits, the Bible says, the first 10%, not what's left over, but the first 10%, your best, to what God has blessed us with, giving it back to God, believing it, he gave it to us in the first place. That This is the teaching and the instruction uh, all throughout the Old Testament as well as uh, reaffirmed by Jesus himself in the New Testament, specifically in Matthew 23, 23. And so uh, that step for me uh, was a difficult one. I mean, it was a hard one and it's been hard along the ways because uh, regardless of what 10% of whatever your 100% is, that's a significant portion and it's, it's a step of faith. But I can tell you, that since taking that step of faith, by actually putting the rubber to the road and worshiping and trusting God in that way, uh, over the years, I have grown in the experience of experiencing uh, that word, that overjoy of trusting God, both with the tithe, the first 10%, and then even being able to be generous beyond that and giving offerings beyond the regular tithe. And uh, you know, it's interesting, as I kind of look up and down from my notes, it's like I can almost tell those of you who have experienced that overjoy because this isn't a big deal to you. You're, you've kind of been there, done that, you're kind of nodding along and you're like, yeah, this, this really works. That if we trust God with the tithe, he's gonna honor his promise and he's gonna overflow with blessings. And the reason you're nodding along is because you have experienced, A, I believe what I've experienced, um, if you're like a warrior particularly about resources, um, the gift of trust The gift of uh, when you trust God uh, with that portion of money that you are saying, okay, God, I'm gonna trust you then to provide for me and I'm not gonna have to worry about that. And so he gifts us with the blessing of a functional trust in him when we trust him in that way. From there, uh, God chooses to show up in that way and that you've experienced the very cool things in the area of financial blessings that God does when we trust him financially. And then third, uh, again, the most important part is experiencing the joy of worship, that you really can worship God through giving, that it is an act of worship, uh, giving back to, frankly, again, the God who gave us everything, who gave us his one and only son, John three sixteen. In fact, that's why we say all the time around here that uh, we're gonna continue to be people of worship by the giving of our tithes and our offerings. And so don't worry, no, we're not getting ready to take an offering. Uh, But in 2015, uh, take the step to trust God at his word and to worship God in this way, to even test him in this. And I wouldn't dare say that, but it's the only place actually in scripture where God, just knowing us, I'm assuming, uh, would have to take that test. And so he says to test him in this in Malachi 3.10. He says, bring the whole tithe the whole tenth into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And he's talking about his house in the Old Testament being the synagogue and the New Testament would be uh, the church, the place where you are spiritually fed. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and test me in this and see. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And so may you trust. And worship God in this way uh, for what's best for you in 2015. Then fourthly, um, as we've looked at uh, in uh, the case of the religious leaders, uh, commit this year to not just know about him. Commit to know more than just secondhand uh, from a sermon on a weekly basis, but get to know him personally. Personally. Get to know Jesus personally in an interactive relationship with God that comes through the gifts that he's given us to be able to communicate with him through prayer and through his word, the Bible. And I'll tell you, for me, um, for what it's worth to you, nothing has been more catalytic in my life of growing in worship to God than jumping back into a rhythm of prayer, in scripture, and because I'm just like you, if you've had this in your life, I, I fall off the wagon too, and I, and I struggle with this. But when I get back into uh, a regular rhythm of prayer and getting into God's Word, it's that place where I'm opening myself up to the Holy Spirit to you could say intersect with where my life is actually at and, and bring God into that to reveal. Um, you could say kind of back to Herod to reveal in my life the areas at which I'm staying in charge of, the areas where I'm staying uh, king over and holding on to. And that's really the area I'm missing out on God's best. And so intersect where your life is, where with God uh, has for you in your life through prayer and his word. And uh, we don't have time to. Unpack all the ways in which to do that, but a resource I would direct you to uh, to help you grow in this initially was a sermon we did completely on this topic on how to uh, get a reading plan together and grow in His Word and, and to learn how to pray and how, again, most importantly, apply that to the living of your life. 167 hours a week um, was a series. Um, you can find the sermon on uh or our church app, which you can search First Decatur. And um, to get the app, real quick, um, how many of you were with us on Christmas Eve? By show of hands. Just so I know, because otherwise you're not going to know what I'm talking about. Okay. I know some of you are really worried uh, about whether Santa would come through to me, uh, or for me, and uh, let me just say, I was hoping for some of those magic touchscreen gloves. And so, uh, you could search out the First Decatur app with your finger, lame, (laughs) or with these magical gloves that work on phones. Okay, so um, you really can't see this, so this is going to be helpful. Uh, It was a series back in April entitled The Good News, click on The Good News, and then number four, Growing in the Good News, again, for some real practical help on getting a reading plan and and praying and all that stuff. And so I have one glove on, so I'm going to take my one Michael Jackson glove off and continue preaching. Okay, so hopefully that's helpful to you uh, in the new year. And, uh, and growing in your relationship of actually knowing him, not just about him. And then lastly, and really this one, in some ways I almost want to serve as an asterisk or a disclaimer to the previous four uh, because in the, in the first four, it's almost like, okay, 2015, let's get after it. Let's uh, grow in our worship. Let's make some commitments. Let's be intentional. Um, but I know that for many of you in the room today, um, you know, showing up, Today maybe be all the the get after it you have uh, and that um, the reality is is that the most important thing you can know when it comes to worship is that you can worship God not just in getting after it uh, but when you have nothing to get after and your you could say your brokenness and your pain that in your worship you can worship God in your brokenness and your pain and while there's no specific description of this in the text. We can infer that when it comes to the Magi, um, that they were probably physically wasted after traveling by foot 900 miles. And you can imagine that even spiritually and emotionally, the, the questions and the self doubt they must have had to have gone to such great lengths to wonder, you know, what if we're wrong? You know, what if this is just another terrible two year old that we've come to see? And then even after, they do encounter Jesus and do experience that he is uh, the king of kings, that this worshipful moment, right then after, the very next verse in the story, they're being warned in a dream uh, to get out of town because King Herod was ready to kill them for not reporting back the location of Jesus. So the worry and the anxiety for their very lives. And so here's what I know. Uh, Frankly, just based on the situations of people here in the life of the church that I do know about, um, how, Exponentially, that must be increased by the number of situations and stories um, that I do not know about. Uh, That for many of you today, emotionally, uh, physically, uh, maybe relationally, and spiritually, um, you're just wrung out. Uh, You've got nothing left. Uh, You're numb. You're lucky you walked into uh, the room today. But here's what I believe, that you're not here by an accident, uh, that God has you here, for this most important message, that um, you know, if you've had it in your life and you see all throughout scripture that the most opportune time actually to worship is when we're doing our worst. Uh, which again, might feel like the last thing we feel like doing, but again, remember what worship is. It's saying to God, and thus reminding ourselves of who has ultimate worth. That God and your grace is of ultimate worth to me. It is, as it says in 1 Corinthians, it is enough. Your grace is sufficient in even the worst of circumstances that um, kind of even use that uh, math symbol for greater than, less than, that God and his grace, regardless of your circumstance, is always greater than your circumstance. That you can trust that his eternality is bigger than and can enter into um, what is ultimately temporary, even as awful as it is. And so that's my final encouragement, that just like the Magi, it says in verse 11, bowed down. They bowed down, bowed down signifying their worship through surrender, uh, that you too, you can surrender these things, these circumstances, these areas of your life to the Lord who says he wants to take these things off of you. He wants to enter into that pain and he wants to um, take it and make it a beautiful thing, the scriptures say. And so with that, um, that's how we wanna close our time together. Uh, We wanna close, most importantly, uh, in worship. And so we're gonna do that. We're gonna express ultimate worth in song, but also with that, um, if there's an area in your life, particularly at the number five level, uh, or really any of those five things that you want to grow in in your worship uh, in 2015, There's going to be some leaders here in life of the church who would be uh, honored to pray with you about any of those things. And then I would say most importantly of all the situations and circumstances, if your circumstance is one that you haven't taken that initial step or that most important step of trusting Jesus in view of his mercy, that you accept that he was sent by God to die for the forgiveness of my sin, that I can have a relationship with God and have God's best for me in this life and beyond, don't leave the room without making that decision or at least starting that conversation with someone. And so um, I invite you to stand and I'll pray for us in this. And then we're going to sing. And if we can pray specifically about any of those things, again, we'll be up front and we'll be honored to pray with you. So let's pray together. Fathers, we look at these perspectives uh, over many weeks we recognize the thread that ties them all together is expressing ultimate worth to you, a worship of you, uh, regardless of circumstance. And so we need your help with that. Um, and we need your Holy Spirit uh, to draw us to you in the days ahead uh, to give you ultimate worth in every area of our lives, 168 hours a week, uh, because we do believe Um, at least right now, that's what's best. That's that's your best for us. But we need your help by the power of your Holy Spirit to make it our functional best in every area of our life that would give ultimate worth and worship to you. We ask your help in this. In the name of Jesus, that you would lead us and that we would in turn follow.